0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Mark chapter 1, verses 1-11. to 11. The, beginning of God, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Now John was clothed, clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of those sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and, he was, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And, we, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending in him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God.
1: All right, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, yeah, breaking out of that Midwest coma that we always in, know, yeah? um, It is Baptism Sunday, so actually today's a day to celebrate, right? Um, so this shouldn't be more than just good morning. It's like, yeah, people are getting baptized. That's good. Um, a few things before we get into today's message, which is on baptism. Uh, we do have a restless kids' room across the hall. So kids, if you get a little squirrely, parents can take you right in there. No big deal. Uh, as I say almost every Sunday, kids are never a distraction. You're quite the opposite. You are welcomed in this service. Kids are never, ever a distraction. We do have kids' totes along with kids' sermon notes as well. So uh, you can find those in, in the hallway. All right. We are taking a break from our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us these last 17, 18, 19 weeks, um, we are going through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. We'll continue on that next week as we look at Jesus' teaching on divorce. And that's an important teaching, obviously. But today, we're going to be focusing on baptism. Today, like I said, is a day to celebrate. We're here to celebrate because several people will be baptized in about 35-ish minutes. Therefore, it seems prudent to remind uh, or clarify, or perhaps for you to hear for the first time, the importance of baptism and, and what we believe about baptism here at Redemption Hill Church. Baptism is not a perfunctory ritual, right? We don't do it just to do it. There's deep meaning in baptism. Um, It is a sacrament for the church in which the glory of God is displayed. So I'm going to use Mark 1, verses 1 to 11 as food read, as the diving board, to get into a sermon on baptism. And it's going to be a little different. Than what you're used to hearing, for those who are regulars at Redemptional Church, I usually preach right through text. Uh, today's i going to be using Mark and then be dipping into other passages of Holy Scripture so that you can have you know, a, a more robust theology of, of baptism. So I'm going to pray briefly because I need God's help, and then we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the good work that you're doing in and through Redemption Hill Church. And now we come to the moment, Lord, where I desperately need your help as I preach your word. You have spoken, and I pray that I would be faithful. And I pray for these folks who are in front of me this morning, Lord, that you would instruct their hearts, instruct their minds by the power of the Spirit. And I thank you for the individuals who will be baptized this morning. I thank you that they're taking steps of obedience to you, to you and nobody else. And we look forward to rejoicing in that in a little bit. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Shortly after, April 25th, 1981, my parents took me and my twin brother Kelly to uh, St. Joseph's Catholic Church to get baptized. Um, At our baptisms, a priest took a little bit of water, ran it over our forehead. At least I assume that's what happened based upon Catholic practice. I don't remember. Uh, And the priest committed my life and my twin brother's life to the Catholic Church. And, of course, I don't remember the details, right? I don't know what the church looked like. don't remember the priest's face. (laughs) Um, I'm just told from my parents. As far as I could tell, the event had no lasting significance on my life. My parents did their best part just to be good Catholics. So for almost 20 years, I gave little thought to the baptism I received as an infant. I didn't think much about what baptism represents, the effects of baptism, and the connection between someone's salvation and baptism. Um, I didn't give it much thought until the Lord regenerated my cold, dead heart in my early 20s. And only after I was saved did I begin to dig into the Word, right? Dig into this book. When I started reading my Bible, I did so with curiosity. I began to try to square my past religious experience with what I was reading, like what was right in front of me. What has God said? What does he continue to say? Now, I, as I was doing that, I wasn't trying to be critical or disrespectful of the tradition in which I was raised. But as my understanding of various theological positions began to change, I began to realize, you know what? How I was baptized does not square with Holy Scripture. Um, Just like the topic of the Lord's Table, which we celebrate almost every Sunday here at Redemption Hill, the subject of baptism can spark debate between denominations, between churches, between Christians. Actually, in the Reformation, people died (laughs) over the debate on baptism. The oversimplification of the debate is this. Is baptism conferred after a child is born, or is baptism for a person who has first made a profession of faith? To some degree, this is an issue of order. Uh, I like to refer to this as a debate between pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. I actually prefer confessional baptism. What's the answer? So we go to God's word to search for an answer, right? Because at the end of the day, the tradition you grew up in needs to be submitted to the word of God. Period. Period. So we go to God's word. Um, I do not want to place ultimate authority in tradition or even church history and for those who know me well, I'm a big fan of church history. Love those church history books. I can read it you know, and not fall asleep, because I love it. But at the end of the day, God's Word is where we go. We want God to instruct us this morning. So what do we see from the Gospel of Mark? We see the Gospel writer comes right out of the gate, talking about John the baptizer and the baptism of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, there's no mention of the birth of Christ, which is interesting, because other Gospels bring that up, Matthew and Luke in particular. Right? So he makes a beeline, Mark does, makes a beeline right to the baptism of Jesus because the baptism of Jesus signif- signifies the ministry of Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now John the Baptist is a curious fellow, to, s- to say the least. Um, he's a prophet who came before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. What we read in Mark 1 is actually a watershed moment. It's a big deal. We read a combination of Malachi 1 and Isaiah 40, verse 3. It helps us to understand the role of John the Baptist during the time of Christ. We read this already. Let's read it again because these are prophetic words. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That's John the Baptist. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's ordained task was to preach, And to baptize, and Jews throughout Judea and Jerusalem came to him to hear what he had to say. Now I must pause for a moment and ask a question that I've pondered over the years: Is where did baptism come from? You ever think about that? Like where did it come from? Why was John the Baptist not only adamant about his message, but adamant about the sign that accompanied the message? Like, there's more going on than a person just getting dunked into the water. There's purpose and meaning behind this. John the Baptist's message can be summed up in four words. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Unfortunately, the Old Testament does not give us enough information to come to a definitive conclusion about the origins of baptism, Other historical documents and commentators have proposed alternative solutions. Like, where does this come from? We know that water immersion was a cleansing practice in Judaism leading up to the birth of Christ. Like, for example, in some sects in in, in Judaism, you would have to be completely washed before you eat a meal. So imagine this, that you were told you have to take a shower before you can have dinner. (laughs) Right? That practice was in place in some sects of Judaism. A second thought is that and this comes up from several renowned scholars, is that in order for a Gentile to become a Jew, he had to get baptized, right? Uh, if this is the case, it would have been unthinkable for a Jew to be baptized because he was already a Jew by birth. Conversely, the Gentiles would have needed to, a process to convert to Judaism. This second view has plenty of skeptics. What I do know for sure is that nobody knows for certain about the historical origins of baptism prior to John the Baptist, Regardless of the historical origins of, of baptism, the combination of the message and the mode of baptism, we know it rankled the feathers of all the religious elites at the time of Christ. Right? Baptism would have been anathema to many religious Jews. Uh, John's ministry would be like Church A, which has been around for hundreds of years, getting upset with the new church in town, Church B, because all the folks from Church A were going over to Church B to hear what the pastor was saying. And to make matters worse, there were folks from Church A believing the message of Church B. You know, John the Baptist is saying things, and all the religious elites were like, I can't handle this. The Gospel of Mark tells us Jews were going to John in droves to be baptized in the Jordan River. I think the Gospel of Mark begins with baptism because God was trying to show that something new was being established, something new. A new covenant was being established. There is a history of unrighteousness throughout Israel, but now someone has come to deal with the unrighteousness. I mean, have you ever heard the saying, out with the old and in with the new? Well, baptism surely signifies the transition from old to new, from the old covenant to the new covenant, while God's covenant of grace has always united both old and new. Now here is the clear message of John the Baptist. Repent, as I've said, for the forgiveness of your sins, Mark 1.4. The call to repent meant for a person to turn from sin and toward God. I mean, as we think about those who are going to be baptized today, that is part of what they are declaring. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm, turning to, I'm choosing to go toward God the call to repent was to turn your back on unrighteousness and turn toward God, the God of the Bible, who is righteous. In addition to repenting, John called the Jews to confess their sins, right? Verse 5. The apostle Peter picked up on the connection between repentance and baptism during his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. Let's take a look at that. And Peter said to them, repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So even though we we cannot pinpoint where baptism came from prior to John the Baptist, we do know from the New Testament why baptism is significant. Like here at Redemptional Church, we don't do these things lightly. It is about the message. The meaning of the message gives baptism its significance. So let's dig a little bit deeper at what Mark and other passages in the New Testament tell us about baptism. To help guide us through the remainder of the sermon, I'm going to show you three distinct aspects of baptism in the New Testament. The mode of baptism, the meaning of baptism, and then briefly, the mission of baptism. And I'll go ahead and do that in that order. The mode of baptism. It is not disputed that the mode of baptism in the New Testament in the first century was by water immersion. Right? Now, if you grew up believing that, you're like, yes and amen. Some of you, like me, were baptized in the Catholic faith, the Presbyterian faith, the Lutheran faith, the Anglican faith. And we would saw a video earlier today of Eastern Orthodox doing the dunking thing with babies, which seems like you got to call CPS after that, right? <laughs> But here, it seems to me that the New Testament practice is by water immersion. If uh, If you argue to the contrary, you may as well say that Jesus did not turn water into wine, but he turned water into grape juice, right? Same type of logic going on. Both thoughts are illogical and, in my opinion, betray the apparent meaning of the text. The Greek word for baptism, baptizo, literally means for a person to be put under the water, In Mark 1, we read that John the Baptist took people to the Jordan River. There was plenty of water at the Jordan River to dunk people, right? John wasn't grabbing a cup of water and gently pouring it over the heads. Folks were put entirely under the water. Even Jesus followed suit. The baptism of Jesus shows us the practice of immersion. And when he came up out of the water... To come up out of the water, you need to have gone down into the water. And you might be wondering, what's the big deal? The meaning is connected to the mode, so hang tight. When we read the book of Acts, there are multiple examples of baptism by immersion. Here's just one example. In Acts 8, we got this guy, Philip. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's been radically transformed by the grace of the gospel, and now he's preaching to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 8, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a court officer. Uh, Philip opens up the Old Testament. He specifically goes to Isaiah 53, and he shows the Ethiopian eunuch from the Old Testament Jesus. He's like, look at this. Just open it up, Isaiah 53. It's about Jesus. And what happens? Well, we read these words. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch got saved. Now he's looking at some water. and He's like, why shouldn't I? What is preventing me? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water... Again, I'm sure the language of going down and coming up is in reference to the water. The prepositions and all these passages are used in relationship to the word baptism, or going down into the water. Uh, some of my Presbyterian friends make the opposite argument. I, I, love, I love my Jesus-loving Presbyterian friends. Uh, if you've been a member of Redemption Hill Church, you know we love West Kirk Presbyterian. They were gracious to us, right? and let us use their facility when everything was shut down. We are so grateful for them. But man, I'll take my friend Michael Mudloff, and we'll argue over this point, (laughs) right? I just don't see it here. The New Testament baptism uh, by immersion cannot be more obvious to me. Now, is there a time and place where Uh, when water immersion does not need to be followed, sure, if you have like a massive water phobia, you live in the middle of a desert. Yeah, I I get that, right? I don't want to be legalistic about this. But when possible, if we follow the New Testament practice, it is best to put a person under the water. And when we look at the meaning of baptism, you'll understand why. Now, two more thoughts on the mode of baptism. It's stating the obvious, but when we read Mark 1, verses 1 to 11, the baptisms were done in public— I think this should still be the case, right? Baptism is a public response and proclamation of the work of the gospel in the life of an individual. In a few minutes, several people will be making public proclamations. In our context, the public can mean a local church, right? I mean, we're meeting at a public school. Now, we don't have the command in the Bible, thou shalt be baptized in the public, but we do have the model in the gospel of Mark. Now, when you take... The example from John's ministry, and coupled with what the New Testament says about the local church, a compelling argument is made that a public profession should come in the context of a local church. Also, a public baptism is a public profession of the gospel. Baptism is a testimony of the grace of God at work in the life of the individual. When I went through confessional baptism in my early 20s, I was able to publicly share what God, has done, what God did to save me through faith in the gospel. Baptism is a sacrament saturated by the Holy Spirit that celebrates the work of God, It's just absolutely saturated by the work of the Holy Spirit. The baptisms are a powerful message of God's saving grace. I understand that doing something publicly is like not everyone's favorite thing. I grew up being absolutely frightened of uh, publicly speaking, speaking in front of people. Some people hate the stage. I, I get it. However, the gospel is more significant than our fears, and it is a privilege to publicly share your allegiance to Christ in front of family, friends, and anyone else who's within earshot. Another question we have to ask regarding the mode of baptism is who should be baptized? right? Mark gives us a clue, and the clue is further clarified in other parts of the New Testament. Those who are baptized have repented and turned from unrighteousness and confessed their sin. That's Mark 1, verses 4 and 5. The New Testament says this is done after the heart is regenerated and that person is given the gift of faith. Back to Philip for a moment. Before Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, He preached the gospel in another area called Samaria. God used his preaching, and it says in Acts 8. But when they believed, so he's preaching, the Lord saved people. And when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Baptism always comes after a person's confession that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Lord and King of the universe, and that He is the Savior of souls. Romans 10 nails the importance of personal confession of faith. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. And is saved. Let me step back for a moment and let you into the head of a Christian father. We have many kids in this church. Um, As I've said, kids, you are a blessing, never a burden. Many kids in this church. And I do want to help parents think well about baptism as they see their kids grow up in the faith. Uh, For example, I have two incredible daughters, Um, they're daughters of a pastor. They have been attending church since they came out of the womb. Since they were born, I've read devotionals to them. I've, I pray with them almost every night. I sing with them almost every night. Yet neither of my kids have been baptized until today. Why? Right? If God has set his electing love upon them, then they will see with the eyes of their heart the beauty of baptism. Yes, I take my responsibility as a father extremely seriously and teaching them the ways of the Lord. we can go back to Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, right? But I want them to see the goodness of God with the eyes of their heart. Then their baptism will be a joyous step of obedience toward their Savior. I want kids and adults to understand and rejoice in their confession of faith before they are baptized. The path to confessional baptism is different for everyone who is baptized, right? Like my wife was baptized at age four. I was like 23. Some people get baptized at age 40 or 80, whatever. The age might be different, but there are just several constants in each situation. Baptism results from a person's confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Jesus saved me for my sins. Now he is, he is Lord of my life. He is King. I surrender all to him. Those are constants when we talk about someone's baptism. Jesus is Savior. He is Lord. And this is all done by immersion. So the mode of baptism in the New Testament is immersion. Baptism, generally speaking, should be public. Baptism is reserved for individuals who have made a profession of faith. Now that we've seen the mode of baptism, I want to show you the meaning of baptism. What does baptism signify? To answer the question, we need to pivot from the Gospel of Mark to Romans 6. God used John the Baptist to start something new, as I stated, and the New Testament unfolds what we read about how it's defined, right? The meaning of baptism. You couldn't go to a better passage in Holy Scripture to understand the meaning of baptism than to Romans 6. It says this in verse 3, do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now think about the mode for a moment, everything I said about the mode about water immersion. Romans 6 is picking up a connection here. You're all baptized into his death, that's the question. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So these verses mean that each believer is united to Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. And baptism signifies this unity. Baptism reminds us we are no longer under the domain of sin and Satan and death. But we are a new creation, free in Christ. Union with Christ is being symbolized when a person goes under the water. The waters of baptism. Every person of faith who goes under the water symbolically dies to the old self and the sinful nature. Massive symbolism going on here. When a person comes out of water, they symbolically rise to new life that they've received through Christ. It's a comforting and confirming picture of our life in Jesus. Baptism is a visible reminder of what happened in our hearts today? The, the Holy Spirit regenerated the heart and gave you the faith to trust Christ. Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, shows us the beauty of the progression of faith leading toward the symbolism of baptism. We read this, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision, not done with hands, but putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Now see the bold here. When you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I think it's essential to be clear that baptism does not save a person from sin and death. Colossians 2:11 says a spiritual circumcision of the heart is how a person is saved. Jesus does the saving. Baptism is the picture of Jesus saving. Think a little bit deeper with me about the meaning of baptism. Baptism is about what God has done for you, not what you have done for yourself. Baptism is about God's faithfulness to redeem you through faith in Christ. Nothing could be further from a me-centered moment than baptism. This is all about what God has done. So each person who get baptized today, they realize it's not about them. We've talked this through. It is not about them. It's about the grace, mercy, and love of God poured upon their, their hearts and their lives. After reading Romans 6 and Colossians 2, it is explicit that baptism is a step of obedience for a person who has repented of sin and confessed Christ as Savior and Lord. Baptism is also symbolic of the death and resurrection of Christ in the life of a person who's being baptized. Another question I want to resolve real quick is this. Why do the gospel writers, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, find it necessary to record this event about the life of Christ? Ever thought about that? I ask the question because it helps inform the meaning of baptism. Like, why did Jesus need to get baptized? Like, I understand why I needed to get baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? Jesus did not need his sins atoned for because he is sinless. Like, Jesus did the atoning. Jesus did not need to be forgiven, he is the one who grants forgiveness. Jesus did not need to worry about death because he is eternal. So why did Jesus receive the sacrament of baptism from John? Here's why. Because God is merciful and gracious, Jesus was baptized so that we could identify with him. Through baptism, Jesus placed himself with sinners and among the guilty. Jesus was baptized so that we could have a visual reminder of his horrific and beautiful death along with the miraculous resurrection. So think about the, chronolo- uh, the, uh, the chronolo- chronology here. Excuse me, Jesus is baptized by John the baptizer in Mark 1. Right? Second thing that happened, Jesus died on a cross and rose from the death right? And three, after Pentecost, Acts 2, the disciples of Christ connected the dots. The baptism of Jesus, Mark 1, and his death and life are directly connected to our spiritual death and life represented in the waters of baptism. Read in Matthew's baptism account that John was reluctant to baptize Jesus, which makes sense. (laughs) He's looking at the Savior of the world. and He's like, come on, you're not gonna make me do this, are you? John thought Jesus should baptize him, but Jesus saw the bigger picture. His baptism foreshadowed the road ahead of him. Jesus knew that the path of baptism is a path for all Christians who proclaim him as Savior and Lord. Jesus knew that the path leading to his death and resurrection will result in numerous spiritual deaths and resurrections. So there is deep meaning in the sacrament of baptism. There is an immense amount of grace for the person who is baptized. Baptism is extremely important for the New Testament church. It's so critical that Jesus commands those who have faith in those who have been baptized to go and baptize other people, right? That's like the New Testament practice. Here's how baptism fits into the mission of God. So we have the mode, the meaning, and now the mission. After Jesus rose from death and before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples these words: "All end of Matthew Matthew twenty eight. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and what make uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this passage is referred to as the Great Commission passage, and it's it is remarkable that in addition to the command to make disciples by preaching the gospel, right? Jesus commands us to baptize those who have been given saving faith. All the statements that Jesus could have said, he tells his disciples to go baptize. So we see the thread that connects the baptism of Jesus to the meaning of baptism and the command to go baptize anyone who has made a profession of faith in Christ. The baptism is not a trivial matter at all baptism is to be taken seriously. You can do two things at the same time. You can take it seriously and have tremendous joy. God has given us this sacrament to bless us. God has given us this sacrament to be an opportunity to declare verbally and in practice the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to pray, but in a moment, you're going to hear several testimonies of the grace and mercy of God. You'll also see several people who take steps of obedience to publicly declare their allegiance to God as they are immersed into the water. Uh, Let's pray, and I'm going to have a few folks come forward and share what God has done in their
0: lives. Heavenly Father,